Another Way to Play, episode 124. I always find that if I want to improve on something, just add one habit, you know, that would move me the most in that direction. If I wanted to lose weight, I try to find one habit that I could do every single day. I think it's the same way in business. I think I, I try to find businesses that are fairly simple and I find service companies are the simplest because they don't require inventory. They don't require long-term leases. They don't require sales tax. It's just a lot of things that they don't involve. This is Sean Castrina, author and entrepreneur. And if you want to make the next chapter for your life better than the last, then you should be listening to Another Way to Play with my good friend, Hans Strazina. Welcome to Another Way to Play. I'm your host, Hans Strazina, Olympic athlete turned top producing Bay Area realtor. I believe that your success or failure is determined by your ability to compete and win when it comes to your mindset. Twice a week, I talk with other high performers to share the lessons and inspiration that allowed them to blow the roof off their success. So get ready to have some fun, be inspired, and most importantly, learn the skills you need to win in your own life. Welcome back to Another Way to Play. I'm your host, Hans Strazina. Really excited to have you on here. Have you ever in your life had a business idea that you then a couple years later or maybe a couple months later saw someone else doing and doing very well? And how frustrating was that that you had that idea and you didn't execute on it? Well, that's exactly the topic we're going to be covering today with my guest, Sean Castrina. He is a serial entrepreneur, author, and all-around educator around all things entrepreneurship. He started 25 years ago his very first business detailing cars in the parking lot of the insurance agency he worked for and uh, never looked back, and since then has done millions and millions of dollars of sales with other businesses in all different types of industries like auto detail, online marketing, uh, direct-to-consumer magazines, also handyman and home improvement stuff. And he's got a very simple model and a way to test your business idea and then execute on it if it actually is going to work out. So he also gives away a couple of really great free resources, which I've downloaded and really enjoying for myself. So you're going to want to listen up for those and check the show notes uh, if you uh, are interested in them as well. And of course, if you get value out of this episode, which I guarantee you will, uh, head over to iTunes, leave a rating and review because uh, it really helps me grow the show, gain critical feedback, and of course, uh, get it out in front of a few more people because the algorithm likes reviews. So thanks in advance for that. And without any further ado, let's get into this interview with Sean Castrina. Sean, thank you so much for being on the show today. Welcome. No, it's great to be on the podcast. Right on. Well, you know, let's just kick it off with talking about, you know, kind of where you're at today because you've, uh, anyone who follows you on social media knows about your books, your website. You've got a lot of stuff out there, man. So like, give us a high level view of kind of what it is that you're doing um, today and, and what you're working on right now. Yeah. I mean, I'm wrapping up, I'm working on my fourth book. It was kind of my fourth book that I was working on and I was ready to publish around January of last year, kind, kind of got interrupted with the coronavirus. You know, it just didn't seem like the right time. And then my son, who just graduated and had finished a one-year internship with one of my companies, he wanted to start a company. So I was trying to help him with a business plan, just trying to go through the basics of it because I do think they're valuable. And um, 
I, so I started ordering like a book on Amazon, you know, and I've read that. And, and one business, one business plan book was worse than the next. And if you really look behind me, I have an entire stack of 10 of them right there on the first shelf. And so I started writing a business plan for him, like really simple, like what I care about. Like there's only 25 questions that really move the needle, in my opinion, that matter. So I ended up writing the book, The World's Greatest Business Plan. And so now I need to go back and finish the book I was, I was wrapping up. So so that's kind of what I'm focusing on, helping him launch his company. And then I'm always, you know, working on my companies and always try, every year I try to add a new revenue stream, basically a new business every year is kind of the goal. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's always what I'm working on. And I was prepping for this interview. I listened to one of your college talks that you gave, uh, you published at least in December of last year about choosing the right business. And I loved that idea of like, whether, you know, where you find a problem or solve a problem or, or fill a need, that's where a business exists. And, and that's a super simple idea. But it sounds like you're, you're a guy who leans into simplicity with your whole idea of 25 questions are the ones that move the needle. So can you give us a little bit of an insight into that mindset, frankly, like how simplicity works to help you build a business every year? Yeah, I think in life, simple works. Just in, in general, I always find that if I want to improve on something, just add one habit, you know, that would move me the most in that direction. If I wanted to lose weight, I'd try to find one habit that I could do every single day. So let's that would say maybe it'd be walk 30 minutes. I think it's the same way in business. I think I, I try to find businesses that are fairly simple and I find service companies are the simplest because they don't require inventory. They don't require long-term leases. They don't require sales tax. It's just a lot of things that they don't involve. So I like service companies because you only have to do two things well. You have to A, attract customers who want what you have. And if you do a service company that has a need, like I always talk about or solves a problem, that's good. So it's really simple. I, I have to make the phone ring or get web traffic, get estimate requests, whatever the case may be. And then I have to hire people that are good enough to do the job. So I have to do two things. And there just needs to be enough of a spread between the, you know, what the customer spends and what I pay this person. There needs to be enough of a spread to make it appealing. I've rinsed and repeated that formula for 25 years and have made millions and millions and millions of dollars doing it. So I know what I'm good at. I know what I probably shouldn't be doing. So I think keeping it simple as a general rule makes it easy. As I said, I, in my service companies, I really only have to do two things really well. I need to make the phone ring. So I have to do very good advertising. We have to have a good brand. We have to have consistent messaging. And so I put a lot of focus there. And then I'm involved in all the, the last hires of anybody. So they can be qualified through my staff, but I do the final sign-off. So, because I, I know what it takes to fulfill the brand promise that we make, which is typically a very, you know, bold promise. So it, it's simple. My brain can follow that. And, you know, being a former college athlete, it was, I, I thought the same way. Like, what's the one thing I can do every day that I have control over that would make me better at this sport? You know, there's things you don't have any control over. You can't be blur, you can't be this, you can't be that. So you got to kind of find the one thing you can do and live by that my whole life find the one thing. That's awesome, man. I mean, that that's an area where you and I align as I, I played sports. Anyone who listened to this knows I was very into sports. I was a rower in college and then went on and, and ultimately competed in the Olympic games and sport of rowing. 
so you and I very much align in that simplicity. What can I do every day? That sort of thing. And it's, and it's absolutely those sorts of lessons have I've applied to my business life and this podcast, frankly, to much success. So I, I totally agree with your commentary about simplicity. I love it. But speaking of college, why don't you take us back? Because you weren't always a guy who had made millions of dollars and had multiple businesses and streams of income. Where did the journey actually begin to the serial entrepreneurship? Yeah, like I, I wasn't the person doing a lemonade stand, you know, in, in as a teenager. So I, I figured I would go to college, get a degree, get a grad, you know, maybe go to grad school. At that time in my generation, the more education you had, the perception would be that you'd make more money. It was just kind of the more education you moved up. So that was kind of the formula that I was going to use. And I was newly, I was married. I was one class away from a master's degree, uh, 33 credits into a 36 credit master's. And uh, had a new house and then got let go from my dream job, a job that I literally would have bet my life I'd have been there 35 or 40 years. Just the leadership changed. The CEO there was like 72 and it just, they did a transition. He, he stepped down who I, and I was really close to him and the new regime came in. They got rid of everybody who was very loyal. And I knew my whole paradigm changed literally as I was being let go. Like when they say, like when your life's passing before you, I think that's almost anytime anything traumatic happens. Cause I've had a car accident before and I felt like everything slowed down and, and whatever the case may be. So right then I was like, okay, my paradigm of security just changed. Like as an employee, I really have no security because I was a high level, pretty talented person and you know, doing everything that I thought right and, and you have no control over that. And I've later seen very good friends that were loyal to their company get let go, get downsized, get replaced by somebody less expensive, get pushed out because they're getting over 50. And so I've seen, you know, back then it shocked me. Now it doesn't shock me at all. So I realized that, it, it, you know, you don't really have a lot of job security and, and it's okay for some people. My daughter's a school teacher. I love it. She's great at it. My wife is a part-time nurse. I love it. Yeah, we joke, she saves lives, I make money. So we all have where we should be. But I, when I was let go, I knew that I was going to definitely, if, we, if I was going to run the, you know, the ship into the iceberg, I was going to darn sure be steering it. Mm, I love that. Love that analogy. Where do you think that that narrative of security, and, and I think it's starting to, to break down, frankly, but where do you think that that really comes from? other than maybe the obvious answer, which is the parents' generation of that. Like, is there something more in our, that we want to believe this sort of thing and we want to like put our, our faith and our, our trust in something bigger than ourselves relative to a, a secure job or large company or whatever? Do you have a theory on that? I think there were bigger companies back then. If you think like IBM and you think of, you know, it was big, big, big corporations. You know, my dad worked for like Bethlehem Steel and different things. So I, I, I just remember at the time, you know, that that's just kind of how it was. You wanted to work for a reputable company that had like a retirement and health insurance. And, and that was the norm. And then I think in the 90s, 19, you know, what is it? Yeah, 90s. <laughs> I'm trying to think back to Bill Clinton era there going through that but you had a lot of startups that was the dot-com boom and I think that really got entrepreneurship on hyper growth I think that yeah I really think it did because I you know and then you had kind of like it was a simple thing but like GoDaddy how quickly you could get a domain 
And there was the idea kind of if you had a domain, you kind of could have a business. There was kind of that in your brain, you know. At the time, you weren't getting – there wasn't really personal branding at the time. So, But you kind of saw that, wow, you know, LegalZoom or whatever, it's not that hard to set up a business. I think, you know, that, that started permeating people's mind. And then, you know, whether you like him or you don't like him. But, I mean, you had Trump with The Apprentice, and he definitely had a brand that you could – you know, in business, you could kind of do anything you want. Again, whether you like him or you don't like him, he definitely, you know, I always say this, you know, when you have buildings with your name on him, you had to do something right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> whatever, you know, you get a few, when you get 25 buildings with your name on them in different parts of the world, okay, you, you might've done something right in business. So that was kind of like, people looked at that and were like, hey, that's really cool. You know, that was a great, you know, lifestyle in that, you know, the Trump with the apprentice that was kind of neat so i think that then you had shark tank i think shark tank took it to the next level and then shark tank came around and you saw people pitching everyday ideas you know scrub daddy and you know hummus and you know just every you know just ideas that solved problems and met people's needs they weren't the fanciest most incredible ideas but they were profitable ideas so i think shark tank took everything to a hyper entrepreneurship yeah 100 percent agree with that i i love that show when it first came out i was watching it religiously your shark tank like where did your first business start what was it and then how did it take you to the next business and then to this pattern that you're in now yeah and it kind of fulfills my whole idea that there's like there's like myths that people believe that keep them from starting a business and and my and i like i think mine is going to knock over three and i'm going to share one is that you need a lot of money this first business i did went under two thousand number two is is that you need to have like a, a business education or some business understanding i never went to college for anything to do with business number three is you had to quit your day job i actually did not quit my job to start this business that's number three number yeah i don't even know what number four would be and apply this but I, i defied all of them so I got let go of my job and I'm a pretty energetic, competitive person. So I started selling life insurance. Seemed like the perfect thing. Did really well, but didn't necessarily like it, but it paid the bills. And sometimes you got to pay the bills. I had a mortgage. But what I used to go to, there was a Monday staff meeting. It was the first time I was ever around like really wealthy people. Like that's when I got introduced to true millionaires, like millionaire, millionaires. So it did change my mindset. It was a great experience. But they all had these incredible cars, and I, it hit me, and this is like 25 years ago, well, why, what, would, what if you could get these cars cleaned right in the parking lot while we're having this meeting? Now, obviously, now, look back, that's, well, that was a pretty simple idea, Sean. But I want you to hear the basics that I did, and then you can see why I've done well since then. So I start a company called Waxmaster Mobile Detailing. Think of the name for a second, because it fills everything that I teach. Have a name. And when somebody hears it, they know exactly what your business does. It's a simple business principle, but I hear people create names that either limit them or you don't know what they really do. Okay. So it was Waxmaster Mobile Detailing. Okay. It's, I sold it uh, like five years in and they actually cleaned two of my cars a week ago. So it's still around 25 years later. It was a sustainable, durable business model. So the name was Waxmaster Mobile Detailing. My tagline at the time, and I remember I start this when I'm 25, America's Choice in Mobile Detailing, bold, audacious brand position. Not such Virginia's, you know, leader in mobile detail. No, 
we are the biggest in the country. America's choice in mobile detailing was our tagline. Then we had to have a phone number back then because not you didn't have domains as common as you do today. The phone number was toll-free, 888-933-3824. I still know it why, because it said we detail. So my point is I started a business, kept my day job, never cleaned a car, set up this marketing system. You know, I knew how to market, made the phone ring. We had straight pricing. It was either out of car, you had an SUV or truck. You know, it's kind of simple. I did a 50-50 spread with the person doing the work. I made the phone ring. There's my responsibility. The gentleman did the work. We split everything 50-50. And, and out of my portion came all the costs, the marketing and, and all that. I made $35,000 the first year of that passive income. $35,000 that I basically put two hours a week in once I got it started. You got to have over a million dollars in an annuity to be drawn $35,000. That would be nice passive income in a real estate property. So that was, yeah, so that was my incubator. That was my aha. I knew then that create a great brand, market well, um, and, and if you could do that, you can make money in that. You know, you can make money in service companies. So I've been doing that for 25 years and I've made, you know, millions and millions and millions of dollars in that strike zone from, I own eight home service companies. It's under one conglomerate, but eight different divisions that standalone companies. And then I own a digital marketing company because I needed some market companies. And then I'm like, I might as well own the company that does it. And now we're one of the you know, so the model is simple. I think once you kind of find your lane, you just got to kind of stay in it. I don't veer from my lane. I don't, you know, if you gave me a restaurant, I'd give it back. If you gave me an online business like that, I'd give it back because I'm not an e-commerce. I don't understand it. It's great. You know, some people are great at it, but I know it would be hard for me to make that learning curve. Definitely. And speaking of that learning curve, you know, how do you encourage people to, to find their learning curve when there is risk involved? Of course, you have to, you know, go out and actually start the detailing business or whatever the thing is and, and potentially trip over yourself and fail and what have you and, and get to a point where you can actually know kind of where your strike zone is, as you put it. Yeah. I mean, the fact is this, you're going to fail, fail fast. That's what I tell people. Fail early. Earlier you fail, the better. So get out there and get moving. Fail forward. You know, if you're going to fail, learn something and fail cheap. You don't have to fail in an all in. Yeah. You know, fail in fact, you hopefully don't. I, yeah. <laughs> so my point is, is that you're not going to learn business till you get out there and do it. I mean, at the end of the day, it's kind of a simple, if you really think of the logic here, just think of a lemonade stand. You attract neighbors to buy your lemonade. You make the lemonade for cheaper than what you sell it for, and there lies a profit. Same thing as a lawn mowing business. You, you know, so the, the, I think independently, we kind of know the fundamentals of what it takes, and you need to start something where there's a high-level demand. The problem is, is that we bring bad ideas to the marketplace, and the marketplace does not treat them kindly. The marketplace does not reward passion. Passion is an entrepreneur's mistress. That's interesting because I, I feel like on one of your more recent episodes on your podcast, you were talking about like re-engaging with not your passion. You used a different word on it though, right? Like I was going to ask you about this. So this is a great segue. What's the, like, what is the opinion of passion and, and what role does it play in entrepreneurship? Yeah, I am passionate. Like I'm passionate about business. I love marketing and branding. 
the individual business that I own, I don't care if we clean toilets. You know, I'm going to come up with the greatest line for cleaning toilets, you know, you know, like no brown streak left behind or whatever the case. In other words, it's irrelevant to me. I, there's so many things within the context of business I like. I love branding. I, I love building a team. I love partnering in business. And there's nothing more fun than making somebody else rich. That is an addiction I have. I love that. That's fun. So my point is I, I, I love business. The individual business per se, I could give a rip. I was excited with a detailing company, as excited I was when I owned 23 magazines, direct mail magazines, as excited I was when I started a handyman company that now 20 years later has probably done $60 million. That's, the business is completely irrelevant to me. Long as there's a need for it and it's honest and we can deliver it exceptionally well, I'm good. That's awesome. So, it's a, again, going back to our, the opening of the conversation, it's a simplicity driven model for you. And in, in sort of this service, more or less service niche that yeah. you kind of have this not cookie cutters, not the right yeah, way, to but that's it, fine. But sort of kind of. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it worked well for McDonald's and Subway, so I'm good with it. Yeah, fair enough. That's a good point. So, so where you're at now, you've obviously scaled over the last 25 years starting these companies. When did you actually stop the insurance sales and get into entrepreneurship full time? Well, I stopped insurance one year into it. And then what I did is when I started my, um, the detailing business, I started getting into marketing and seeing what worked. And I like direct mail. I saw that this could work. So I started a direct mail magazine I actually moved to Charlottesville, Virginia to start a direct mail magazine. And Money Magazine, two out of three years, had voted it the number one city in America to live. Where I was living, there was just a ton of traffic. So my wife and I moved to Charlottesville to start this magazine that I was going to start, uh, a direct mail magazine. And, uh, and I just I, I was going to sell cars and then do the magazine. So my first month selling cars, I never sold cars in my life. I made $5,138. I was their top salesman. So I only sold for one month and then quit. That gave me the seed money. I knew, it gave me three months of living expenses. And I knew I could always go back and get a job selling cars. You know, it's really simple. Hey guys, would you like to hire me back? Of course they'd hire me back. So I had an incredible month. My boss eventually came to work for me and so did his wife. So that, that was funny. And, um, yeah, it worked out well. And, and I, and, but again, I, this is the thing that I don't think people realize. Do you know you can negotiate when you take a job? Like when I got the job selling cars, I didn't think I'd be quitting in one month. So even from the beginning, I negotiated a crazy schedule. I went and talked to people that sold cars and I asked them like, when do you sell cars? And they're like, well, you really don't sell anything. You know, 80% of the sales are on Saturday, Friday nights, Saturdays, and then some will trickle in on Mondays. Okay. You don't sell anything during the day. Well, that I negotiated my schedule. I didn't come in until three o'clock in the afternoon. When I sold a car, I got to leave. They thought that was really comical that I was so confident I would sell a car. And I, would, I didn't come to any meetings. I told them, you can kind of just go over the meetings with me when I come in. I go, come on, how hard is your meetings going to be to fill me in on it? And I said, I'll work on Saturdays. And I asked him, like, why did you guys hire me? And my, the guy who came to work for me, because we either knew we were going to all be working for you or you were full of bullshit, you know, BS. They go, we just, he said it was like July and we were kind of humored by it. This was kind of like, I can't wait to see how this goes. 
And they go, obviously, you were the top salesman, and we know we probably would have came and worked for you. And sure enough, one of, uh, two of them ended up coming to work for me. So, but my point is, is that I still, even if I had to continue it, I negotiated a schedule that was palatable. And I think you can do that in a lot of situations if you're forthright with your employer. If you can perform the job well, especially in this virus era, I mean, the, the typical workday model has been destroyed. Gone, 100%. Right. So you can, you can market yourself for pure production. Tell me what it is you want me to accomplish. And if I do it, pay me. I mean, I, I do think that the eight to five in many situations, nine to five and whatever, that model has gone to poop. Yeah, wholeheartedly agree. I have a lot of friends and family members in commercial real estate. A lot of them are are hurting at the moment and or not sure. You know, they have hotels as tenants and obviously big office space, 100,000 plus square foot leases. And, you know, who knows what that is going to turn into I, I, in the next 12 months. Yeah, as somebody who has a real estate, that, that market is going to hit like nobody's ever. That is going to be the next downturn. The commercial market is just done. I, I can't see how it survives. I just don't see businesses operating with a thousand people sitting in a building when they know they don't have to anymore. In other words, the model is proven they don't have to. So I, I think that's going to, you know, other than airlines and, and the cruise business, I think commercial real estate is going to take the biggest hit. I, I, I would tend to agree with you. Someone's sitting here thinking like, okay, this is really cool. I'd love to be an entrepreneur. I've got that itch. I'm, I'm, I'm passionate about it. I have some extra time because I'm working at home and, I've, and I now I'm fairly productive. So I've got an extra couple hours a day, but like all of my ideas, I'm sure everybody's doing it, right? Like I, my idea is too simple to work. What do you say to that person? Well, let's run it through a business plan, you know, so, and you can get a free business plan book. If you go to world's greatest, I don't give this out much because I give out my other book for free. So I'm basically giving you two thirds of all my books today for free. If you go to world's greatest business plan.com forward slash free book, you can get my $18 book from Amazon for free. Um, and it'll tell you about your idea. It'll vet your idea. Number one is that when you do a business plan, it's very simple to figure out whether you have a good idea. Do you have any competition in your area? Is it a, is it a global business? Well, if it's a global type of business, then how would you rank on Google or something like that? But if it's a local business, I mean, just do local searches and see. Is there, if you try to hire somebody in your area to do that or to buy that, how hard would it be? I mean, it's not that hard to see if there's an opening in the marketplace these days. But the most important thing is to have an idea that is receptive in your, wherever you're selling it at. I mean, that is, the, you know, that's the, the crux of, of all good ideas. There's a, there is a demand for it. It's not saturated. Uh, you know, there needs to be a, a touch of blue ocean out there. A touch of blue ocean. Absolutely. And then how, and then, you you brought up um, one of your early businesses out, uh, beyond the auto detailing was a handyman service, and you talked about how do we how do we find the pain points and differentiate to the uh, so we return calls in twenty four hours we we set a price and we stick to it you know those are like the pain points that people feel like it it relative to blue ocean can you create blue ocean by differentiating yourself in that way or do you really have to like find the area in between all the competition to to create that i'll show you a secret to getting that but the, like you can do a fedex move i mean what made them difference in the mail you know us mail and and ups is we'll get it overnight 
I mean, you think how audacious of a promise that was. And then Domino's did it when they did the deliveries in 30 minutes or less. Okay, so you can, you can be in a, in a crowded market and still differentiate. Subway did it with pricing. You know, six, you know, what is it, $5 foot long or whatever. So there, you can be in a crowded marketplace and still cut out a nice niche. What I tell people is this. This is the easiest way to do it. This is my one statement, I think, of genius that I've had in a while. Find the one promise that if you could make that your competition is either not fulfilling, has chosen not to do it, or they can't do it. But find the one promise that your company could make and deliver on that if your target customer heard about it, they would chase you down for your business. And you think about that for a second. I'm telling you, it solves all problems. Southwest Airlines, what if we could give you incredible prices, just absolutely the best pricing, no frills, no thrills, boom. Motel six. We're gonna we're gonna leave the light on for you, but Buzz, guess what? That's about all you're getting. <laughs> you know, you're getting a light in a mattress. Okay, sandals vacation. The complete opposite. We're gonna if you want to have a romantic getaway with no children at an incredible, beautiful place, you do a sandals vacation, and you can go all. You know, every business kind of you got to pick that one thing, and then if it's the right thing, you build your entire company around that. The problem is we try to do too many different things. So I think the one secret that I try to tell anybody starting a business is if you can find that one promise that will differentiate you from your competition, and that's one thing that I've always done, and build your whole company around that, brand your company around that, that's your brand, that's your tagline. All your messaging is around accomplishing that one promise or re, you know, reminding people of it. But all the great companies, you know, they do that. They, they really have one, typically start with one thing. The only one that's probably built off of that is Apple. has been incredible at just kind of, but we still view them as just extraordinary technology on a screen. You know, if it's got a screen, they've got it figured out. So it's not, you know, it's, it's not really that complicated. But um, I think that we try to do too many different things and we're not, we don't start a great company from the beginning. And that, uh, that promise isn't that great. It's just not you know, like, like, why would I always say, well, why would I buy from you? Give me a reason. Relative, going back to your first business, um, what was the one thing that you focused on that made the auto detailing messaging and the delivery and all that so good? Like what, help, what was the promise for that one? When we're we're going to come to you. I mean, at the time that was, typically they would come pick your car up and then you don't know where they took it, and then they bring it back to you. That was the normal business model. So we had a massive water tank in the, in the vehicle. So we came to you. And now you're like, oh, that's pretty normal. Back then it wasn't. So we could clean your car in under a couple hours while you were working. So that was a, a huge, that was our, our unique promise, that we're going we're gonna to come to you. Simple. It's, it seems simple, but it's, it's always simple in retrospect, right? It's like, oh, duh, but it's, it's only, oh, duh, once it's actually in place. It, it's, it's a scary, big, crazy idea until it's, oh, duh. <laughs> yeah. but, but to do that, like I had to get a massive van that could hold that kind of water. It, it had domino effects. In other words, I couldn't get just a cheap, small van. You're talking about, you know, holding, you know, 100 gallons of water so there was, you know, it, it made it a little more complicated, but it gave us a major, 
you know, competitive advantage. And then it worked. And then we were able to do like four cars in one day, right in the parking lot by, if you take them away and you got to bring them back, there's dead time. So that did it. But let's like go to the handy. I can just go to real quick to other companies that did it. Handyman company. I can't, I can't assemble a three piece birdhouse, but I tried to transform my dining room into an office when I had the magazine company. We just knew I didn't need the lyre hanging over my head. It kind of killed my sales mojo. So I just wanted it to look like an office. Trying to get a handyman in Charlottesville, Virginia was like trying to find a one-eyed leprechaun. Okay. They, I couldn't get anybody to give me an estimate. Then the person who was going to do the job didn't show up. Then when I eventually hired somebody to show up, it took them, you know, they'd work an hour today and then leave and come. It was just crazy. Absolutely crazy. So I started asking my friends, Hey, do you have a handyman you recommend? And I'm living in a nice neighborhood with like a thousand suburban homes, you know, where everybody knows their neighbor and you walk in. You know, I should be able to get a handyman reference. Couldn't get anybody. So I said, I'm going to start a handyman company at the time. And I'm good with branding. It was Advantage Handyman Services. because That's when the phone book led with alphabetical. So A was first. Okay. Second, the, the tagline was the leader in home repairs and projects. It's a very good tagline, if I say so myself. And um, so we started it. Five weeks into it, we had 54 phone calls for handyman work. We were charging $85 an hour. Everybody told me, you'll never get $85 an hour. Well, I'm like, you can't find one anyway, so I think you will. <laughs> In other words, I think if you're, if you're like me, I just want you to do the job. I'm not so concerned about the money. So I launched that. I mean, that company has literally, I joke, I've, I'm the, like the, picking, uh, what's his name? Uh, Pablo Escobar of construction. It has made me so much money. It's not even funny, but it was a simple, broad promise that we would give you a fair written estimate. When we started your job, we would stay until it was completed. I would send nobody to your house that I wouldn't have work in my own house. So I had to hire people that didn't look like serial killers. And all our handymen had a minimum of 10 years experience. So I marketed that quickly. Now, understand, I don't know construction, but I knew who would I want to hire. I'd want to hire somebody who looked fairly friendly, who was experienced, who would stay at the job until they finished. And when you wrote me the free estimate, you honored it. There was no shenanigans. Well, that was it. That was, our, that was it. That was the bold promise we made. Well, about $60 million later, it wasn't a bad idea. And, and what's interesting is that in both of these cases, you were almost your target market. I was. I was. And then I worked back from, this is another th secret. I'm very difficult to please. Okay. And I joke, my wife is the most difficult customer we have. I've literally told her to hire other companies. And she jokes. I said, no, it's a win-win. I go, there's a 50% chance my, my guy won't make you happy. And if they can make you happy, I'm just going to hire the guy. So you're just vetting a new employee for me. <laughs> so, I mean, but but the point is we're tough and we, we know that. Well, I, wanna, I work back from the perfect customer experience. Think about the detailing. What would be perfect for me? You come to my office at the time that I want you to when I'm in a meeting from 10 to, 10 to 12 on Mondays. When I get done, my car will be clean, straight pricing. Okay, that's, I like that. I, that makes sense. Handyman, the same type of thing. I reverse engineered what I thought would be the perfect experience. We'd give you a free estimate. We'd honor the estimate. We'd do the work. We'd, when we showed up, we'd be there in the morning and we stayed until we were done. And that we had to come back the next day. No job started until your job was done. That was the biggest problem in construction. It's amazing how they just jump around. 100%, man. I tell you. I've never seen anything like I don't know how, you, you know, my thing is 
from point A to point B is a straight line. You know, we all kind of heard that, but in construction, it's, it's not. Yeah. Cause you got to rob Peter to pay Paul and do this job to take it over to that job and buy an extra toilet to bring it, you know, it's like it's a crazy. total nightmare. So, so what ended up happening is, is that, and then when I launched it, I did a TV commercial from the beginning with a very, you know, attractive client. You know what I mean? She was actually a radio news person out. And so, I mean, I had an, an older guy, very distinguished looking, pulls up in the vehicle, does her the estimate. I mean, when we hit it, I knew the brand and who I was trying to attack. I knew the target customer that I was going after. It's funny because we still provide services to her and she always asks for a discount because she did our first commercial. Um, she's, she's so sweet. But the, the, the point is, is that nothing I'm talking to you about is earth shattering, but I, we made customers so happy that they reached out and created eight more divisions in my company. I mean, seven more divisions because they go, Sean, you guys are so incredible. Can you do this? And then what I would do is I go find a partner who's great at that. So we added roofing and siding. We'll do a million dollars in roofing and siding. We have a painting division. I, I bought a painting company and then brought the person when I bought it from, I brought that person back as a partner. Because, <laughs> you know, very, I mean, I get creative. We have a and Reminder from the New York Institute of Art who works on our team. You know, we have a, a masonry division. We have a deck division. You know, I mean, the point is our customers keep saying to us, you guys were so great at this. Will you do this? And when we started seeing, you know, an uptick in those requests, we would step out and try it. We did it good. We'd turn that into a quick commercial, you know, with that customer telling us and then that moved the needle and then we, that became a division. And now, you know, our phone, our phone rings, even during the virus, our phone rings off. One of my divisions is booked eight months out right now, eight months out on, you know, large scale projects. So it worked again. And I still can't, I have a toolkit from the day I got, when we got married, it was a, a wedding gift. It's plastic. It is a, pl I have a plastic toolbox with maybe a socket set, two screwdrivers and a 25 year old hammer in there. I still don't know anything about construction from a, how to do it, but I understand all the metrics in business. I understand how to make a phone ring, you know, how to create the brand. So there's an example. I mean, there's a couple companies that I didn't know anything about that have made me a lot of money. Well, Sean, this has been awesome. You've given us a ton of value and a ton of ton to kind of chew on and think about here. Um, and man, I could talk to you about this all day, but I do want to respect the rest of your time in your afternoon and transition us to the last section of the show called the focus five. That's the same five questions I ask every guest on every show. Are you ready? I'm ready. Cool. First question. You've mentioned one of them, but what book have you gifted most often? Uh, Think and Grow Rich. Think and Grow Rich. Great book. If you could get an hour of somebody's time, past or present, live or dead, and ask as many questions as you wanted, who would that person be and why? Wow, man, that, that is a good one. I, I, I'd like to talk to Bill Gates. Why is that? You know, because he was extraordinarily competitive but he knew when to get out at the right time. He knew how to shift his focus to another area of passion. His whole transition from, you know, being the richest person in the world to having the most well, you know, most valued company, he's done just as well in philanthropy. But here's a guy who just doesn't fit, and he's done well in his personal life, you know? So I, I think he's done a, where you had Steve Jobs, very successful business, but personal life, probably not so, not so good. Bill Gates seemed to have hit, hit all, the, all the touchstones that I think matter. What is one thing that you believe most people would disagree with you on? The passion idea. I think people really feel like passion needs to be a part of the business. In other words, if you, 
you got to make money off your passions. And I think you got to broaden that view. And, and like a successful company pays for all my passions. I can afford any golf club. I can play golf anywhere in the world and can afford to do it. You know, I'm passionate about being generous, philanthropy and giving money, you know, giving money away. Well, if I didn't make the kind of money I make, I could never give it away. So I, I think you got to, I think we got to view passion in a more broader, a more broader view. Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. How do you like to start your day? Uh, morning is important. So number one is, is that you get up before everyone else does. That's number one. So I get up at 5.55. So I'm, I, before I get out of bed, I try to kind of go through mentally. You know, I, I like to go through what I'm grateful for, before my feet hit the floor. Um, and then I like to, I sit in a certain chair and I definitely journal. So I like to kind of write, I, re- I like to write my goals out in the morning. And, uh, and lay out what and organize my day, just kind of review my game plan. I don't like to have a lot of things that I'm involved in. I delegate everything as much as I can. I, fo- I schedule the few things that matter, review my day, know what my day is. Then I like to write for like 30 minutes. And then I like to work out for like 30 minutes. And then, and then about eight o'clock, I figure I can't solve, I really can't fix anything before eight o'clock anyway. So why, I don't get on my phone. I don't return emails or any of that. To me, it's just, just, I can't fix anything before eight. So why am I going to get all aggravated? Like, why am I going to look at emails at eight o'clock at night and be aggravated all night long? Or look at an email at 545 in the morning or 555 in the morning and get all stirred up when the person doesn't even get in till nine. So I'm selfish about my first hour and a half. That's smart. I love that idea. I, I could take a, a piece of that and apply it to my own life because I'm, I'm sneaking peeks at the phone too often in the morning. So I'm, I'm with you though. Yeah, I don't touch it. I don't even touch. I the phone doesn't. I don't. Can't, I can't fix any of it. I don't look at emails. I don't look at it. it just I focus on in the. Last question, man. You you provided so much value. You've got a lot of great content out there. What's the best place online that we can connect with you? Yeah, I think get something free whenever you can. So I go to my personal site, seancastrina.com, and get the eight unbreakable rules for business startup success. It's free, and free is good, and that's just a really good book. To, be, to tell you the truth. Um, and then, you know, you can watch my podcast. It's only 10 minutes. So you can kind of tell I'm pretty intense. So you couldn't take me for an hour anyway. I can't take me for an hour. So it's just 10 minutes where I'm either teaching and or I'm interviewing a founder and I have a really quick format and I, I extract the most information from them in the shortest amount of time. So yeah, I would go to my site, get a free book, listen to the podcast. And you can always reach out to me on Instagram. Sean, thank you so much for being on the show today, providing all this value and giving us a lot to think about relative to business, life, what all of that good stuff. You've really, uh, you're pretty inspiring to me as someone who is trying to be more entrepreneurial in my life and uh, really excited to continue to follow your content and uh, stay connected with you. So thanks for being here, man. Great. Thank you for having me on the podcast. I don't know about you guys, but I really enjoyed that one. Uh, Sean has a ton of experience, a ton of action, actionable ideas, and some great free resources for you to download. So if you want to connect with him or get some of those resources, go down into the show notes because he has them all teed up. I have them all teed up for you. He gave them to me to give to you. So go check those out there. And if you want to connect with me, I'm also down in the show notes on Instagram at Chief Sna or any of the other social platforms. I've got them linked up. So if you got some value out of this, you know what to do. Leave a rating and review because it helps me grow the show, gain critical feedback, and get it in front of a few more people. So thanks in advance 
for that. And without any further ado, let's get out of here. This is Hans Strazina, host of Another Way to Play. And remember to make every chapter better than the last.